We've come now to Acts chapter 21, verses 1 to chapter 22, verse 30. It's quite a long reading. And I very rarely, I don't think I've ever sat in church and heard a preacher preach on on any of this passage because it's quite long. And when you look at it, there's really not much happening. But I actually think there's a very important lesson here for us today. So I'm doing something a bit different today. Um, I'm going to read it myself and most of the reading is actually going to be the message. And I'll just finish off with a real, real short bit at the end. Is that all right? If it's not, you have to do it, okay? So is that all right? Yeah, yeah, good. Okay. Righto. So um, we've got a map here. And this is Paul's third missionary journey and he's travelled up, right up there, up off the end of the map. And we're starting off from, from a place I think called Miletus. Can you see Miletus over there on your left? They're going to move the mouse there. Okay, now they're going to sail south and east and then down to Jerusalem. So we'll keep the map up until we've finished the sailing trip so you can see where we're up to and then we'll put the reading up. Okay. And when we had departed from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Coz and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy. And we greeted the brothers and stayed there with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his feet and his hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. So he's been on this trip. He's, He's got his eyes fixed on Jerusalem. He's heading towards Jerusalem. And everywhere he goes, people are saying, It's going to be tough for you in Jerusalem. It's going to be really bad. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be bound. You're going to be locked up in prison. And what was their advice? 
don't go. Where did he go? Jerusalem. Right? So here he is at Jerusalem. Verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went with us, in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who believed. They are all zealous for the law and they have been told about you. They've been told that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Now take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and against the law and against this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and he's defiled this holy place for they have previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. All right? So the tribune of the cohort, he's the head of the Roman soldiers, right? And he's in charge of keeping peace in this place. So word comes to him that all of Jerusalem's in a confusion. He at once took the soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he couldn't learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought to the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the, that followed were crying out, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? He said, do you know Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who recently stirred up a revolt and and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. We had given them permission Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. 
And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defence that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of our law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way, I drew near to Damascus. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and we came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. He said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptised and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned those and beat those who, who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. There you go, examined by flogging. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Who likes exams? Yeah, not many like exams. Imagine if it was accompanied by a flogging. 
So he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they'd stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Then the centurion heard this and went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? This man's a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yeah. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realised that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. There's been times in my life where I've had decisions to make, big decisions, and I've really appreciated the input from other Christians, other mature Christians, people who I know to be wise, um, because they've given me really good advice and, and it's been godly advice. Who's, who's ever had that? A few of you, I see a few nodding of heads. But then there's been other times when I've felt the Lord giving me a specific direction and I know that if I follow him that it's going to be costly. I know that. I know it's, going, it's probably going to cost me financially. I know that it's going to cost me physically. I know that it's probably going to cost me relationships. I know that it would cost me in so many ways and probably for the rest of my life. And I've been certain that it was the definite call of God and yet other Christians have said, and these are Christians who I respect and honour, they've said, don't do it. It's too costly. Don't do it. Consider the ramifications. Consider what it's going to do to you. Consider what it's going to do to your family. I know one time I had people saying that to me and I read in God's word in Acts chapter 5 where Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. And so I went against the advice of those other Christians and you know what, they were right. It did turn out to be costly, but I knew that it was all along. And yes, in some of those decisions it's still costing me today. Now, did I do the right thing? I believe I did, because I believe I was following God's will. The men's Bible study group have just begun a new Bible study, uh, experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. This one here. Um, This is the first week, and there's five studies for us to do uh, each week. And guess what? It's five days until we meet again. And so... Today you can start and do a study a day and still be caught up. Um, anyway, in, in that Bible study, it is, I've done it a couple of times before, and this Bible study, like no other, has helped me to, to know how to recognise God's voice, to discern the will of God, and to encourage me to obey it even when I know that it's going to be costly. And I'd just really like to encourage you, if there's any men here... Um, 
who are interested in knowing what God's will might be for their life or interested in knowing how to be obedient to God and recognise what God is saying, I'd really like to encourage you to um, to get involved in that. Um, and yeah, So I'm sort of hoping that some of you men will get together with me after church and we'll, I'll hand the books out and give you a little bit of a, a starter on it. Anyway, in that book, Henry Blackaby says that he doesn't go setting his own plans, he's afraid to. You know how um, these days we're sort of right into these business models. We have strategic plans and we have our goals and aims and objectives. And Well, he says he doesn't set goals or objectives or strategies for the fear that he will achieve them and never have actually done what God wanted him to do in the first place. And that's something, I guess that's a lesson for us. Sometimes what we set as goals and objectives are not God's goals and not God's objectives. I was going to say sometimes, but I'm actually going to change that word to often. Often, the Lord will lead us in a direction where human reason would never have us go. I'm seeing some more noddings of heads. That's very true. And so sometimes your brothers and sisters in Christ will give you good godly advice and that other times, out of concern for you, they'll give you good human advice which is actually contrary to God's will. And that's what we saw happening in that Bible reading today. Paul knew that the Lord was leading him to Jerusalem and eventually to Rome. And in Rome is where he was eventually executed. And people with the gift of prophecy could see what was going to happen. And they were telling him, you're going to be in trouble when you get to Jerusalem. And that was God's word on the matter. You're going to be in trouble when you get to Jerusalem because you're following Jesus. It's going to be a tough road. But then out of concern for him, other Christians added their own advice, which was, don't do it. Don't go. It's too costly. Don't do it. And yes, it would have gone easier for Paul if he took their advice. But if Paul had taken their advice and didn't go to Jerusalem, about half of our New Testament would have never been written. I don't know if you you know this or not, but a lot of the letters that Paul wrote that are in our New Testament, the letters that actually help us to understand what this whole Christianity thing is all about, where did he write them? In jail. He's in jail on death row, writing these letters that make up about half our New Testament. So, yes, it would have gone easier for Paul, but it was not God's will. You know, one of the hardest things for us to understand is sometimes it is God's will for us to suffer. That was his will for his only son. So there's a very short lesson here today and I want you to consider it from both sides. Firstly, I want you to consider it from the perspective of when the call of God is on you. When the call of God is on you and you know it's going to be a tough call, you know it's going to cost, it's going to take you from where you are and it's going to put pressures on not only you but your family, change the whole direction of your life. Paul said to them, what what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready 
not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When you are certain of the call of the Lord, when you're certain of the call that he's putting on your life, don't let anything deter you from that call. No matter how great the cost and no matter how much concern others have for you. And secondly, I want you to consider it from the perspective of when someone that you love and someone you care for is called to a costly path. Robin and I have some very good friends and their eldest daughter, I wrote there in her mid-twenties, but she might be getting towards late-twenties as she misses me. Mid-twenties, so I was right. She feels the Lord is leading her to be a missionary in the Middle East in a Muslim country. That's a very dangerous place to be a missionary, particularly if you're a woman. How would you feel if your son or your daughter came to you and said, I feel the Lord's calling me to that sort of ministry? What are you going to do? Would you try and talk them out of it? Oh, you know, sometimes we get this bit of a zeal for God and sometimes that's not real. You know, you can really be a Christian where you are. Are you going to try and talk them out of it? Or are you going to support them to the hard road, down the hard road that the Lord is calling them to? That's a tough call, isn't it? That's a really tough call. Wives. What if your husband was telling you that he believed the Lord was calling him to go into full-time ministry? That he was going to end his career, he's going to sell up the family home and go off to Bible college and then after that you have no idea where you're going to end up. Wives, what are you going to say to your husband? Robin's chuckling. What did you say, Robin? Robin said no. But the husband was sure of what the Lord was saying. And he kept at her and kept at her and kept at her. And what did she say? Maybe. <laughs> I don't think she said maybe. I think she said, she tried to get around it this way. She said, oh, look, you've got long service leave coming up in seven years. How about we wait for seven years? And she thought I'd forget about it. In about year nine, Robin, you realise I get long service leave up next year? It's probably time to start applying for Bible college. What? Wives, what are you going to say if your husband say that? If the Lord called you, would you give up the farm? Would you give up your security? Would you give up your dreams? Would you give up your ambitions? And remember, that's not just your dreams and your ambitions for yourself. It's your dreams and your ambitions for your children. At the time where I was deciding whether I was going to go into the ministry, the other option before me was really to get back on the land. And I knew at that stage that if I chose to go into the ministry, my children would never have the opportunity of being on the land. If the Lord called you, would you give it up? 
Would you follow him? When they saw that Paul was sure of the direction that the Lord had set for him, they said, let the will of the Lord be done. I guess this is where the rubber hits the road. Too many of us treat Christianity as if it's just a preference. This is just the way I choose to live my life, choose to go to church on a Sunday, yada, yada, yada. Somebody once asked, is, is Christianity for you a preference or a conviction? You see, you don't die for a preference. You don't give up all your dreams and ambitions for a preference. But you do for a conviction. You do for a conviction. Is obedience to God of more value than life itself? I can tell you with conviction, absolutely. Absolutely yes. What an amazing blessing we have in Christ. Jesus loves us so much that he died for us. He gave us eternal life. And what an opportunity we have to serve God. Don't ever be diverted from what God is calling you to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read your word, sometimes it's all too easy to, to look at it and read it and, and hear about Paul here and he's heading off and, and he's following his convictions and we think, oh, well, that's okay for Paul. He was an apostle. He was this mighty man of God and, well, we don't have to be like that. Lord, how wrong we are. Right in this room are men and women of consequence. Some of them are still little children who are going to grow into mighty men and mighty women of God. And Lord, we know this doesn't come through just living a life of preference, but living a life of conviction. And Lord, some of us here know what it's like to live a life of conviction and some of us are probably sitting here thinking what's this fella going on about it's all irrelevant Lord I pray that you would strike our hearts with your reality Lord that we would get back to being the a people of conviction, a people who who give God, good godly advice, who will say, well, what is the Lord saying? Where is the Lord direction, directing you? Instead of asking the question, okay, what's the best you can get out of it? And Lord, help us to always make our decisions about following you instead of just using human wisdom to to decide things in our favour. Because we know, Lord, in the end, if we follow you, it does come out in our favour. You have told us that if we want to live, then we give up our lives.
If we want to be successful, then we give up our, our desires and dreams to be successful here and just follow you and you will make us successful. You have told us, Lord, that, and this is a tough one, sometimes even to follow your will will go against the wills of our families. I think of those first disciples who you called, they, they left their boat, the fishermen left their boat to follow you. The tax collector left his office to follow you. Lord, give us a desire and give us strength to be obedient to you no matter what the cost. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.